Colossians chapter 1, if you ever come to a, 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 some place in your life where you, you just need a, a reset button of the person of Jesus Christ, you couldn't go to a better place than Colossians chapter 1. I want you to read with me Colossians chapter 1. We'll start at verse 12. And we'll go down to verse 18. And I'm going to stop and comment here, here and there a little bit. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So he's talking about God the Father here, clearly. God the Father hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Oh, that's awesome. I want to stay and talk about that. But now, do you see there that the, the emphasis or the, the focus is now moved from God the Father to God the Son? Let me stop and say this. Whenever you encounter anybody, and it's crazy how much heresy is becoming more and more common, but you will encounter people these days who will tell you that the Trinity is not in the Bible. And I would say to you, don't even argue with them. Just get away from them. Uh, one, one way that I know that I'm on the right track is because I read Christians from nearly every one of the last 20 centuries. If they wrote, I, if they were Christian and they wrote, I read their writings. And so, you know, I don't just read Spurgeon and say, well, Spurgeon said it, it must be right. No, but I'll read Spurgeon and then I'll read the, the Puritans and then I'll, I'll, I'll read uh, the Reformers from the 15 and 1600s. And then I'll go back and I have a few books containing the writings of the, uh, what they call the Apostolic Fathers from the 2nd and 3rd century. And it's amazing how much, of, how much they're in harmony. And the way that I know that I'm doctrinally on track or someone else is doctrinally off track is when they vary from what Christians have been saying and believing for the last 2,000 years. And I want to tell you that Christians for the last 2,000 years have preached and believed the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is one God and three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. There's even a, a movement that I know of where uh, somebody uh, said, Brother Cork, you check the back door for me, please, uh, where somebody uh, said that, that uh, Jesus isn't God, a prominent. Jesus isn't God. He's just, he is what any one of us could become if, um, if we get close enough to God. Well, now there's a little bit of truth to that second, to that last statement, but don't think for a second that you're justified in saying, well, Jesus wasn't God. I mean, that's just straight up heresy and stay away from it. So clearly here, though, we see the attention for a couple of, of statements has been on God the Father, and now it moves to God the Son, all right? The kingdom of his dear Son. Now we're talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Who is the image of the invisible God. 
Wow, you, we need to ponder that for a while. That's the image. Jesus is the image. An image is something you can see. An invisible God is someone you can't see. We can't see God the Father. He is to us invisible. But we can see the image of his son in reading his life. We'll say more about that in a little bit. The firstborn of every creature, meaning every eternal creature, Jesus is the firstborn. Now, Jesus, the son of God, was not born in that. He wasn't a created being. Jesus, the son of God, he was the, the child was born. If you ever notice, Isaiah 9, 6 says, unto us, a child is born unto us. A son is given. God gave us his son. His son was not born. He was he became and was born a child in Bethlehem. But that was not his beginning. In the beginning was the word. John 1, 1 says, and the word, capital W, Jesus Christ, was with God and the word was God. The same, in case you didn't get it in verse 1, the same was in the beginning with God, meaning in the beginning Jesus already was. John 1, 1, 2, and 3 makes it clear that Jesus Christ is not a created being. Then who who was he? Jesus is the word of God. When God said, let there be light, that, the words, were Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor, that sounds a little bit off. I'm not sure I understand that. Then go further down to John 1 and read this statement. And the word, capital W, was made flesh. God took his very words and put a human body on his words. And that is Jesus Christ, God the Son. So, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him, Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. We're still talking about Jesus. That's the context. He is before all things. By him, all things consist. Consist means held, is held together. Jesus is what holds us all together. He's our creator. He's our sustainer. That's what the word consists. He holds everything together. And he's our redeemer if we choose for him to be. He is the head of the body, the church. He, I, this is a local assembly. This is the body of Christ. I am not the head of the body. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. He is the head of the body, and the body is his church. Who is Jesus Christ is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the first one to ever be raised from the dead to conquer death. That in all things, he might have the preeminence. Now, here's what we're going to look at, that, that statement, that in all things, Jesus might have the preeminence. First thought tonight, what is preeminence? I want to show you, and I want you to consider the difference between prominent and preeminent. They sound very similar, but they are very different concepts 
prominent, a prominent figure is a leading figure. But a preeminent figure is everything. He is the leading figure. A prominent influence in your life is a, is a dominant influence. But a preeminent influence in your life is the only influence. Say, well, pastor, how could you possibly make Jesus Christ the only influence in your life? Simple. You go to Corinthians where it says, tells you what to, what thoughts to get rid of and what ones to hold on to. And you realize I'm supposed to get rid of everything that conflicts with Jesus Christ. I am supposed to do away with every influence that conflicts with Jesus Christ. Now listen, that's a tricky one for all of us because we all have things in our life that we enjoy doing that are pretty innocent that they're not things you do in church. You know, I, if you like to play basketball, well, there's nothing, there's nothing sinful about that, but we don't play basketball in church. We don't play basketball to get to know God better. So that means we cut basketball out? No, but it does mean that we watch basketball very carefully. I don't mean watch it like watch it on TV. I mean we keep our eye on If that's what your love is, keep your eye on it very carefully lest it ever conflicts with Jesus Christ. See, there's certain things that you can't do. And focus on God at the same time. You you can't sin and focus on God at the same time. You can't smoke weed and get high and focus on God at the same time. Now, I'm sure there's people out there in the big grace movement who would tell you that, oh, you're wrong about that, but I am not. You cannot smoke weed and get high and focus on Jesus Christ at the same time. That's sinful. And I'm not going to insult all of us by taking the time to explain how it's sinful. If you don't get that that's sinful, we need to sit down and have a long talk. That's sinful. But there are things that are, that are not sinful, but they're not exclusively godly. What do I do with these things? We all, we all, I mean, I could list them for you. I, I'm just be real transparent with you. I went to, I went to Pastor Clark last week after he spoke to the pastors. I said, Pastor Clark, I need you to pray with me. I care way too much about things that don't matter. I said, sports, politics, old Western movies. I could sit. You give me a Western scenario. I could watch one after another until I drop dead. I can't. Probably to you, Westerns are like the sickest thing on the planet. I could watch them all. And, I, and, and they never, it's amazing how many old Westerns there are out there. And uh, they just, I mean, and I told that to them. And he said, I'll pray with you, Brother Joe. He said, but don't be too hard on yourself. And, and that's not what I needed. I needed a kick, you know, and he gave me a pat on the back. But, but uh, he said, look, he said, we've all got to watch these things carefully. But, but, but that's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about sinful things. We all have things in our life that we got to keep our eye on. But if Jesus is to stay, stay preeminent, we cannot allow anything 
that conflicts with him. If I were to sit and watch old Westerns all day long, that would be, a, that would be conflicting with my relationship with Jesus Christ. So when my mind is, is weary and, and my, uh, where I just need to, okay, maybe I can sit down and, and uh, you know, pull up an old episode of Bonanza somewhere and watch that and it's not going to hurt me. But when something becomes something that I'm doing, you know, eight hours a day, no matter how innocent it might be, it is conflicting with my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I've got to realize every time I do this thing, no matter how innocent it may seem, it, it runs the risk of pulling me out of that place of being spirit-filled and walking in the spirit. And I really didn't plan to go down that trail, but I'm here, so let's go ahead and address it. We need to guard everything in our lives. I'm not, this is, you're not Sunday morning. This is not Sunday morning. I'm not sitting here talking to people that uh, barely read their Bible this week or didn't, didn't even think of reading their Bible. I'm talking about people who make, talking to people who are making an effort. And I'm saying to all of us, beginning with me, we got to guard everything because everything has the potential to draw us away from walking in the light, from walking in the spirit. And so, let me get back on track here, because I'm not to the message yet. Prominent is a dominant influence. Preeminent, to me, that's the only influence. And that's where I got off track, so I better, I better keep moving before I start explaining it again. The only influence. That's what, that's what, that's what, Twist my brain. That's not the word I want, but it's the best one I get my hands on. Twist my brain. Is it possible for Jesus Christ to be the only influence in my life? Paul says it is. Paul says I can get rid of everything that conflicts, that, that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and I can bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. A prominent influence has great input in my decisions but a preeminent presence in my life is the only input most christians most of us i'm counting me most of us do not allow ourselves to go there where jesus christ is preeminent so that he is the only input in my decisions you will pastor there's other things I have to consider here's what I here's here's what I concluded years ago for myself that if something is God's will for me then it will affect everybody in my life the way it's supposed to here's what I'm saying okay I'm getting a little off track again but we're good all right for those of you who wonder why I keep looking at the piano, I can't see that clock. I tried to find a red-letter clock for the back wall, and then my friends came and preached and complained about it. I guess the guest preachers don't have the – they're too nice to complain, but my friends were not too nice to complain, so they said they couldn't see that clock. So I tried to find a flat one battery operator. I haven't found it yet. If you have one and it's $30 or under, buy it. We'll reimburse you, okay? If The letter's got to be at least that big, though, and it got to be bright red. Otherwise – you're going to pay for yourself. Um, but I did find an alarm clock right over here. 
big old red letters. You guys can probably see it over here. Um, I tried to hide it, but I couldn't do better than that. But anyways, that's why I keep looking over there. Cause, and that's why, we, that's why we got out a few minutes earlier this morning because I could see the clock. But, um, so you say, oh, okay, is that what it's about? I'll get you some real big red letters, Pastor. But, uh, numbers, numbers. I, I kept saying letters, numbers. Anyway, um, so, so here's, here's a conflict in my life. I've got to take in, let's say I've got to take into consideration, let's just pick a number and say seven factors. Number one is, what does God want me to do? But then there's, how does it affect my wife? How does it affect my children? How does it affect, let, let's say I'm not the pastor. Let, let, how does it affect my, my, uh, my job, you know, my secular job? How does it affect, and, I, and I'm listing these seven factors in my life. What I concluded years ago for myself is that if it's the will of God, it will affect the other six factors the way it's supposed to. Because if one of those other six factors, if it works for God, but it doesn't work for them, then they're in conflict with God. Now, I don't believe that you just go around and use the will of God to do whatever you want to and make everybody unhappy. And, and no, that's, that's not it. But when you pray, listen, so much, everything depends upon the condition of our heart when we're talking about the will of God or anything. And we have got to make sure when God gives us principles and tells us this is how it's going to be, our hearts must be right. And if our hearts are not right, then the same thing that is a good thing, like the will of God, becomes a bad thing when we use the will of God to to excuse our foolish behavior. Then it does hurt people. But when I sincerely seek the Lord and I come to the conclusion that this decision is the will of God, it will affect everybody who is surrendered to the will of God in a good way. And it will affect everyone else in a, in, a, in a negative way because they've decided to be negative with God. That's not, that doesn't make it easy, but it helps me understand things. I just had a story pop into my head that is only slightly related to that point, just very slightly. But it's so funny that I can't resist it. So time out, and i got to tell you this. This is unbelievable. You guys are at the men's conference. You know this. The other, I don't even want to say his name because, well, Brother Kirby Campbell told this story. He said, it was a Bible college where he, Bible college where he met his wife. I can't believe I didn't tell you this. He, he, um, he saw her and he knew that's the girl. So at lunch one day, she had an empty seat next to her. So he just went over and said, can I sit here? Because he knew she's going to love, she's, she's, she's going she's gonna to like me. And she, just to be courteous, said, okay. And uh, so he sat down. Well, it just didn't, it didn't click. It didn't happen. But he noticed after that at lunch, she never had an empty place next to her. It's like she made sure there. He tried it again. I think it was the third time. You know, I can't believe it. The third time he tried again, he got a big fat no, and he said, and she said something like, why should I go with you? And he said, because I love you. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he said, he said, and then I said to myself, well, 
uh, I better be careful not to say anything over the line. And I thought, that's too late for that, my friend. <laughs> anyway, I told you it was only slightly related to the subject matter, but I just, and I was crazy. But anyway, let's get back on track here. It is possible, and this is, this is I, I wrestle with this. It is possible for Jesus to be the only influence in my life, the only input that matters. So here's the question. We're going to sort of come back to that, and I don't have much longer. I know I've said that many times before, but um, here's the next question, and it has two answers that I want to share with you, and I want want you to see them both from the Bible. Why should Jesus have preeminence? All right, let me give you the first answer. Turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I love Hebrews chapter 1, and I especially love the first several verses of Hebrews chapter 1. Why should Jesus have preeminence? You know, you meet somebody who's saved and they're excited about it. They're talking Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. There's a song that says, Jesus, 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 I've got them on my mind. And you know, if, if you're new to the Christian faith and you come and you hear people singing Jesus, 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 that soon you're going to find yourself saying, okay, I understand I'm saved by receiving Jesus my Savior, but what's the big deal about Jesus? Why is he so important? Well, I'm going to give you two answers right here that to me answer the whole question. All right, Hebrews chapter 1, follow along. God who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So the writer's saying back in the Old Testament, God spoke to mankind through the prophets, Isaiah, Daniel, Elijah. He spoke by the prophets in the old, old times. Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So here's another voice saying that God used Jesus to create the world. How is that so? Because Jesus is the word of God. But now this is the this next statement is the one that I just absolutely love. Who, Jesus, who being the brightness of, of his glory. Now, every once in a while, I'm, I'm not a big stargazer, but every once in a while, you will, you will find my family standing outside looking up at the, at the stars for a particular reason. It was just a few weeks ago, we pulled into our driveway, and I forget if it was me or Joe, said, uh, what's that dot next to the moon? And so before we went inside, I took out my iPhone and... and uh, I, that's almost exactly what I put into Google there. What's that dot next to the moon? And I put the date. And you'd be amazed when you type that in. Just all, all kinds of people have already asked that question. And uh, it, was, it was Jupiter, wasn't it? Uh, we were looking at Jupiter. And, of course, Jupiter is, is massive, but it was just this tiny little speck next to the moon there. And uh, Amy and Amanda came home, and we were sitting out in the front with the, with the lights off. And what's wrong with that? Were you locked out of the house? What happened? No, we're looking up and we're looking at Jupiter. And we'll do things like that every once again. I just, it, it, I, I'm not a space guy, but when something like that is, is right in front of me, it fascinates me. Suppose I could, I could tell you tonight that at uh, 10 o'clock straight up, 
If you'll stand in your front yard and look to the east, you'll get a glimpse of the brightness of God's glory. Oh, we'd, we wouldn't just do that. We'd make an event out of it. I mean, we, I'm not, I don't mean you're going to see his handiworks. But I'm talking about we're actually going to see the brightness of God's glory, his actual person. We're going we're gonna to see that. Well, do you know where you can see the brightness of God's glory? Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 and 8. And at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, because Jesus is the brightness of his glory. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. And so when you take some time just to read, oh, it's so easy just to sit down and, and read the Gospels. And it came to pass that Jesus got in a boat and crossed over the Sea of Galilee and yada, 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 read on down, got that chapter done, check mark, done, let's, let's go on. Instead of just sitting there and hang on every word, it came to pass that Jesus got on a boat and, and just and picture that. Why? Because you're picturing the brightness of God's glory. I'm looking at the life of God. He's the brightness of his glory. And I'll tell you what I love even that. The express image of his person. If you examine the Greek in that statement, the express image of his, of his person. Do you know what it means? The Greek words literally mean an exact engraving of the character of God into a human life. If you could, by the way, that's why there can only be one Jesus Christ. That's why he is the only begotten son of God because he is the precise engraving of God's character into a human life. And if you do two things precise they are the same and no two human beings are the same and it's 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 an impossibility there's only one begotten son of god because only one time has the character of god been engraved into a human life that's what you're reading in matthew mark luke and john the character of god engraved into the life of a man so the first reason why Jesus should be preeminent is Jesus is everything I can ever want to know about God. Now, there's all kinds of things about God that we don't know that are not answered in the life of Jesus for us necessarily, but they're things that God, everything God wants me to know is in the life of Jesus Christ. Second reason, turn over to Romans chapter 8, and we'll look at the second reason. The question was, why should Jesus have preeminence? Why should Jesus be everything in my life today? Number one, because Jesus is everything that I could want to know about God. But there's another reason, and it's sort of the reverse reason, not verb, but uh, the other side of the coin, I guess. Romans 8, 29. For whom God did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Did you read that that verse said that the, the character, the person of Jesus Christ is my destiny and your destiny? 
You are predestined to be like Jesus Christ. So number two, the reason that Jesus should be preeminent, he's everything that God wants me to be. Now, time out. I can't make myself everything that God wants me to be. But I can surrender to the Holy Spirit if I know that Jesus is everything that God wants me to be. When you see Jesus going about, you see that Jesus never said no to anybody that had a need. If he could fill the need, he said yes. And he said no to a lady one time, but that was to draw out her faith. Remember the lady that came and, and uh, he said, nah, nah, I'm sent to the Jews. And she said, yeah, but, but uh, the dogs catch the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, man, I haven't seen faith like that. He, was, he wasn't saying no to her. He was, he was drawing out her faith. I say to you, Jesus never said no to people in need. And that's what God wants to make me. Listen, when I hear that, my first response is, but I can't do everything. When God makes me like Jesus Christ, my response will be, I can, I can do what I can do, and I will do everything I can to help people in need. If I'm like Jesus, that's what I'm going to say. You see the life of Jesus Christ. You see what God is trying to make you. Now, look, don't watch Hollywood's version of Jesus. You know, a guy walking around with a long hair and a white robe with a spooky look in his face. And, ooh, and there's always, oh, in the background. And, you know, that's, that's not the life of Jesus. This is the life of Jesus. So read the life of Jesus and see, wow, look at how he, look at how, this is how I know he didn't have a spooky look on his face. Because when Jesus was there, there were kids around. And kids don't like a person with a spooky look on his face. And he, he, was, he wasn't physically attractive as in, wow, what a handsome man. It, not like that. He was attractive in his countenance. Somebody with, a, with the Holy Ghost in their countenance is always attractive to people. Even people that disagree with you say, I, mean, I don't like that guy because of what he believes, but there's something different about him. All right. Jesus is everything that God wants me to be. Why should Jesus be preeminent? Because he is everything that I need to know about God in the person of Jesus Christ. And secondly, he is everything that God wants me to be. That's, that is why he needs to be preeminent in my life. He needs to be everything. All right. Now, we're, we're almost done. We are almost done. But here's the last question. How can I make Jesus preeminent in my life? Now, all of that, and that is not, all of that that I just said is not what I woke up with going through my head yesterday morning, as I described. This is. I woke up, and in my fog, and I'm going, where, where am I? What's going on? I would, you ever been in that, I was a totally confused state. And this thought, as I was laying there trying to, trying to come back to reality, I want to live to know Jesus. I want to live to become like Jesus. I want to live to lead others to Jesus. And what I pondered as I'm, as I'm coming back to cognizant state is, is there any other goal in my life that I need that doesn't fit within, inside of those three things? And as I pondered it all day long, I came to the conclusion that no, no, there's not. I, sat, I, went to, I took Amy to her meeting, and I went to breakfast. And I don't like to, 
who you know who who likes to go to a restaurant by themselves but when i got a pad of paper with me then i can so i sat there with my notebook and i just wrote and wrote and wrote and i'm pondering this question is is that if if i made that my entire future is that enough will i be missing something i came to the conclusion i won't miss a thing if i make my whole life to know jesus to become like Jesus, to lead others to Jesus. And by the way, lead others, I don't just mean in, in soul winning, although that is so, that, uh, that's, that's huge, that's massive, that's so vitally important. But I also mean, I hope this morning that three people raised their hand to say they were trusting Christ, and one of them would raise their hand. One of them would raise their hand every time I asked that question, and God bless her, that's fine. But, but there, were, there were other hands too, and I, but I don't just mean people getting saved. I, mean, I hope everybody in the room this morning was led a little bit closer to Jesus. Not because I'm the pastor, but because I'm knowing Jesus. And by the grace of God, I hope I'm becoming like Jesus. That's how I want to live my life. I want you to understand, live to know Jesus, live to become like Jesus, live to lead people to Jesus. They're, those are not points in a sermon. That's a life plan that I've gave to the Lord yesterday and I said, Lord, the time is too short. Whatever I've done in the first 49 years, take me to a level where this defines my life. To know Jesus, to become like Jesus, to lead people to Jesus. I believe, and this word relevant is becoming a uh, something you... Now see, that just did what Rebecca said it wouldn't do. I just got a thing, she... We're going to have to talk to Rebecca. Um, anyway, it, I, that button was supposed to keep me from getting a notification that I got an email, and that didn't work. But anyway, um, this word relevant is one you'll hear now. Ah, we, need to, we need to preach things that are relevant to people. And I guess what that means if you, and I've never heard, I've heard snippets of Joel Steen, but I don't think I could sit through a whole message. Um, but I guess that's what relevant is. Happy thoughts and puppies and pancakes and stuff. I I had to put something in for macaroni over there, uh, but <laughs> but I believe, especially for a Christian, know Jesus, become like Jesus, lead people to Jesus. Uh, you couldn't be more relevant than that. And whatever's ahead, folks, and I, I was just reading before church, and it, it grieves me if you're painted. I mean, I just, I want to weep. The governor of North Carolina has been given a deadline by the United States Justice Department. Been given a deadline tomorrow that you have to bow to this thing of transgender uh, not letting men into the ladies' room. That's what it is. And if you don't, we'll cut off your federal funding. Do you see, I mean, we, we said this over the gay marriage thing, and do you see it doesn't end here? You say, well, what, what, I, mean, it, I mean, man, it's just, it's all, it's all going to fall apart. Whatever happens, Christian, if you're knowing Jesus, becoming like Jesus, leading people to Jesus, 
you're going to be where you're supposed to be. Where you're going to be where you're supposed to be. And this is why I'm seeking the Lord. I, I want to be, I want, however, whether I've got a year left to live or 30 years left to live, I want to be focused on the right thing. And I don't think you could be more focused on the right thing than, than that, that perimeter right there. Father, I pray that you'd help us please to.